Luke chapter 19 is our text today. If you have your Bibles, it would be awesome. Go ahead and open them up. And we've given you a, a sheet there in the worship guide. You can take some notes. And very excited about this message as we continue our series on CrossFit. Uh, today we are in the uh, second S, which stands for uh, salvation. And so you have been studying in your Connect Group classes the, um, uh, the gospel presentation that the Lord gave me that we are calling the five crosses. And in a few weeks, maybe less, we are going to be able to present to you a gospel track that uh, our church is uh, producing. And I got, uh, what, what do you call the first of anything, the prototype, I guess, the rough draft. And I was down here at the bicycle shop the other day, and a guy was working on my bike. And I don't know if I was supposed to give this away or not, but I just couldn't stand it. I said, sir, I just got to give you this. We, we wrote this little booklet not long ago, and so I gave it to him. And I gave the prototype away. Amen. I, don't, I hope y'all saved it somewhere, Corey, and got it on file somewhere. But we're going to be giving you many copies of that called The Five Crosses. Be able to share that with your family and with your friends. It's a simple gospel presentation. And today we're going to look at the S, which stands for salvation. And then next week we get into the next letter of the acrostic, which is F, which means to find your place. And so if you'll follow with me that... Evangelism in the New Testament has to do with sharing the good news, as we looked at just a moment in that video, but also when somebody receives the good news, what do you do after that? Well, you follow up with them, you encourage them, you disciple them, and you help them get into a, a local church that preaches the Word of God. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, Chris, it was you, that's right, not to mention any names, but I talked to Chris Williams, who was out at the farm, and he said, um, you know, I, I don't miss many Sundays, Pastor, but when I do, I... I don't like missing the, the message that God gives you. And I'll tell you something else that I really miss uh, when I'm not in church, and that is just the fellowship of God's people. And I thought, you know, that is so rich. And this is such a great place to meet people, to make friends, to connect with people. And we only have this one hour of the week that we get together like this. But in a couple of weeks, we're going to get together a lot. As I mentioned earlier in the announcements, that Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great time. Well, today's message is it's one of my favorite texts in all the Bible. It, you, you know, it's not every day that you read a passage of Bible where the Bible actually gives some, well, I guess you could call some descriptive phrases of a person's human anatomy. For example, it says that Zacchaeus was short. Now, why did the Bible say that? Why, why does the Bible say, he, we little man was he, he ran up into the sycamore tree to see Jesus pass by that day? And I, I just, I resemble that statement. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I relate to this, and I appreciate Luke recording the story of Zacchaeus, the short tax collector who met the Lord. Speaking of uh, the five crosses, I'm, you know, I'm just really sensitive today whenever I see a cross. Last Sunday, I was watching a, a, a football game with the, it's two teams that I really could care less for, either one of them, but I'm just a football fan. If it's on, you, usually I'm just going to turn it on and watch it. But it was the New England Patriots, New England Patriots, um, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm sorry, but I, I just don't like either one of those. But anyhow, I do like uh, watching a football game. And Mike Tomlin had a big old cross on his, on his neck. And it was conspicuous. It wasn't one of these little bitty tiny jewelry crosses. I mean, it was like this big and this wide. And he also had a black t-shirt on, and it just stood out. And I thought, I wonder if he's doing that for a reason. Because a lot of people get crosses. They get tattoos, crosses. They wear crosslet, you know, bracelets and necklaces and anklets and all those things. But I, so I got to do a little study on Mike Tomlin, and I was amazed. Actually, he used to live in Hampton, Virginia. And that's where uh, we, we served for five years in Hampton, Virginia, Liberty Baptist Church. And he graduated from the College of William and Mary, which is right up the road from Hampton there in the beautiful city of Williamsburg. And I kept reading, and I thought, well, this guy's really interested. And then I saw this Baptist Press article about Mike Tomlin, and he's quoted as saying, yes, I'm a Super Bowl champion. He won the Super Bowl with the, um, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But he said, my mentor is a man by the name of Tony Dungy. And Tony Dungy, who's a strong believer, and he also is a Super Bowl champion with Indianapolis Colts years ago. And this is what he said. He said, first and foremost, I want people to know who I am. And the most important thing about my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. And 
that's impressive. No wonder he's wearing that cross. The more I tell the story, the cross is going to be this big. You know, it's going to be this big and this wide, you know. He's wearing that big cross. Then he goes on to say, football is what we do, but faith is who we are all the time. Man, that was a good word. Then he went on to say, I want to lead my team with a servant's heart. The biggest thing I learned from Coach Tony Dungy was an unyielding belief in his message of faith. It was displayed all the time with him. He was extremely consistent. And that's what I want to do in order that I might be able to maximize my faith, end of quote. In, in the article also, it, it, asks, it, it quotes this man by the name of Nick Eason who played uh, for Pittsburgh. I believe he was a tight end for them. And he said these words. He was a defensive end. He said, quote, you know, it's so great. It's such a great blessing when a man of God is leading your football team. It's like a godly father in the household. I never thought of it quite like that, end of quote. A godly father in the household. So the cross, that conspicuous emblem, that symbol, that's the most recognized, easily recognized symbol in all the world. And it represents, listen to this, it represents Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection, and watch this, and how that death and resurrection changes people's lives even today. You know, He changes football coaches. He, 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 changes, he changes everybody. He changes anybody who will yield and surrender their lives to His Lordship. So today, I, I got to share this message with you on salvation. It's just it's just pulsating in me. It's just about to overflow in me. And it's a simple message about how Jesus Christ meets people, how He changes them, and how it gives us such hope and encouragement today. Listen, we, we were praying for you today. We were praying earlier, and we were praying and asking God that if there's one person in this room today that you've never met the Lord, I mean, really, you've never come into contact with Jesus Christ and allowed Him to be your King and your Savior, you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins, then we prayed for you today that today would be your day, that today you would yield yourself to the Lordship of God. You would say, God, I've tried everything else. Lord, I've bumped into everything and everybody else, and God, I'm just, I'm just going to try you, and I want you to take the reins of my life and I want you to be the Lord, and I want you to call the shots. Let me tell you something, friend. When you do that, then the power of the cross becomes powerful in your life. And God begins to come in, and God begins to change you. Ooh, listen, listen, listen to this. You can't get your life all cleaned up and then come to God. It don't work like that. You come dirty, you come stained, you come sinful, and you just come spiritually stinking, okay? You just come just as you are, and God says, thank you. I'll take it from here. <laughs> he said, I'll take you, and I'll clean you, and I'll wash you, and I'll make you the woman of God that I want you to be. Listen, all you've got to do is what Zacchaeus did. you just got to be able to say, okay, Lord, here I am. Take me just as I am, and he hopped out of a tree. Listen, you don't have to hop out of a tree. You just walk down this aisle. <laughs> it's, it's real simple. In a few moments, we stand and say, you come. Come to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be people up here saying, you come and we will share with you. We will encourage you. Well, I'm ahead of myself, but that's okay. Let's read the text. You ready? Luke 19, 1 through 10. Woo, here we go. Then Jesus entered and he passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not. Ah, that's why it includes it. He couldn't see over the six-foot people's heads, all right? He could not see because of the crowd. He was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was, he was going to pass by that way. I love verse 5. It's one of those beauty and the beast passages. One, one preacher put it like this. He said, the beauty of Jesus kisses the beast of Zacchaeus in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked, he saw, he said. Y'all feel the initiative in that? <laughs> you see what Jesus is doing? He's looking, he's seeing, he's speaking, he's drawing Zacchaeus to himself. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry up. Come down, for today I must stay at your house. And so Zacchaeus made haste. He came down, and he received the Lord 
joyfully. But, yeah, but when they saw it, they, uh, they complained and they said, well, ah, Jesus, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and, and he said to the Lord, he said, look, Lord, I, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anybody by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And then Jesus in Zacchaeus' home, he said to him, and I can't help but imagine there's a, there's a room full of publicans and sinners, and I didn't say Republican sinners, by the way. I, I said publicans and sinners and tax collectors, okay? I think what Zacchaeus did, he was so excited, he brought a bunch of people into his spacious home, and Jesus is the honored guest. Jesus is speaking, and he said these words. Today, salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. And for the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite self-title, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this narrative, this story. Lord, it's so powerful, it's so simple. Even a child, Lord, can understand the message that will be proclaimed today. It's your message of the cross. It's your message of the gospel. And how, Jesus, you have this intrinsic and explosive, dynamistic power to take a sinful heart and to cleanse it, God, and to change it, Lord, from the inside out. And I'm, I'm asking you today, oh God, would you do that? As we, as a church, as we're coming together to worship you, we know that there are many, Lord, in our midst, and there are guests, and we're so glad that they're here. And there are many listening on television, on the internet, and there are, there are hundreds of people, Lord, with us that we don't even see right now. We're asking you, God, would you take this message, this simple gospel message, and Lord, would you speak to their hearts? Lord, would you penetrate the hard exterior? Lord, would you go through the, the barriers, the intellectual the moral, the philosophical barriers that we're so good at constructing. And God, would you just pierce right through those to the very heart? And Lord, would you draw people to yourself? Lord, I pray you draw some student to yourself today. Oh God, a teenager would be born again today through the Holy Spirit of God touching her and touching him. I pray for single adults today, God. I pray for those that are married. I pray for those that are young. And I pray for those that are old. Lord, we know that the down and out need you, but we also know, Lord, the up and out need you. The wealthy, the sophisticated, the educated, the erudite, like Zacchaeus, Lord, he, he was just as lost as the down and out. So we ask you, God, that you would do what only you can do. And you would take me as your messenger, Lord, and you would just use me that I would be your mouthpiece, God, and you just speak words, Lord, of love and compassion and words of urgency and potency, God, and you would speak, oh God, today. And we pray that there would be many who would come to faith in you today. For we pray this as a church, and we believe it because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, Jesus, he meets us where, where we are. A couple weeks ago, we were looking at uh, the city of Jericho. It's a, it's a very famous city, and if you've been there, if you've been close to it like I was a few years ago, it's still today a very beautiful, picturesque city. It's about 15 miles uh, northeast of Jerusalem, about 800 feet below sea level. Uh, Jericho, in, in, in Jesus' day, was a very wealthy city. In fact, Herod the Great built his winter palace in Jericho because of the climate. It's kind of like an Austin climate, if you will. It, was, it, it had lots of warm weather, even during the, the colder months. And so people moved there. It was kind of a resort town, kind of a place where the wealthy had second homes. And, and the Bible says that Zacchaeus lived there. And he too was wealthy. He was rich. And it's interesting that Jesus made a point to go through, pass right through Jericho like he would pass right through Samaria. Now, Samaria, we may say, well, those may be the down and out. They were the outcasts. But these guys, the, the rich and the wealthy 
and the sophisticated. Jesus, he, he reached out to them as well. Maybe you've heard me say this before, and I prayed it, but let me say it again. Not only do the down and out need the Lord, so do the up and out. Everybody needs him. You know why? Because everybody's broken inside. Everybody has a heart that's been wounded by sin, and, and we bring a lot of pain upon ourselves. Other people inflict pain upon us, but we find ourselves broken. Never seen that before in the world. And there's a cross reflected off of this pulpit. It's right here. My ADD gets me in trouble sometimes. I'm telling you, there's a cross in the, in the, in the fabric there, and I know what it is. It's a reflection. That's just pretty cool. I'm afraid to walk towards it. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to step on it. Hold on just a second. Let me come this way. What else do y'all know Jer Jericho for? Why do you know Jericho? Anything? Yes, Joshua chapter 6. They walk around Jericho for six days. On the seventh day, they march seven times, and the walls tumbling down. Y'all know there's people walking around our church? I just found this out last week. Sometimes, you know, pastors, were, sometimes we're the last ones to figure it out or find out. I mean, there are like 10 men walking around our church yes, last week. And they're praying, God move, God bless. And I think they're doing it again. There goes one. They're a bunch of men walking. By the way, you want to get a good exercise? Walk around this church. This is a big campus. This is a big sanctuary. And you can walk all the way around. And there's a bunch of guys doing that even now as I'm preaching the Word of God that the walls of sin and the walls of hurt would fall as you're listening to the Word of God being preached. I know it's not Jericho. I know it's Austin. But I know we want the Spirit of God to move here today. So they're walking. Thank you, Stu, for walking and talking and praying. So Jesus passes through this uh, very famous city. And the Bible tells us the key character beside the Lord is this man, Zacchaeus. It begins to give this biography of him, if you will. Describes him in verse 2, gives us his name, tells us that he was a man, tells us that he was not only a tax collector, help me now, but he was chief. He was, <laughs> he was large and in charge in his own kind of way, all right? He, he was chief tax collector. And the Bible says because of his profession of being a chief, tax collector, he was very wealthy. Tax collecting back then went something like this, and I'll give you a very, uh, very simple version of it. Zacchaeus probably had many other tax collectors working under him. And what they did, they worked for the hated Roman government. In fact, they were so despised that the Talmud, which is an interpretation commentary in the Old Testament, the Talmud placed tax collectors in the same categories as thieves and murderers. I mean, they, they hated them. <laughs> Easy now. Think, I know what you're thinking. I, I, I can see it. Well, put some politicians in there. But, but they, they were so, and here's why they were so hated. They would come to the Jews and they would say, we, yes, we are a Jew, but we represent Rome today. And, and you owe the Roman government, we'll just say, a, a, a hundred denarii which is a hundred days' labor of work. In actuality, they only owed the Roman government 50 denarii, but the tax collectors, those frauds, they'd take the other 50 denarii and they'd put it in their pocket. And that's why they were so hated by their own people. Number one, they were, they were in bed with the Romans. And number two, they were cheating and they were defrauding their own people. And so when the Bible just, just throws that out to you, oh, by the way, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. I mean, when you read it for the, like for the first time you, and you know the background, you go, wow. And that is a guy who does not have many friends. He has a lot of money, but he's probably pretty lonely and down and out. And so it doesn't talk about him hanging out with his buddies. Probably didn't have any. Verse 3, he wanted to see Jesus. He could not because... Of the crowd, he was of short stature. Verse 4 says, so he ran ahead and he found the sycamore tree. And if you've been to Israel, been to Palestine, you, you, you've seen this. And I'm, I remember just kind of smiling when, they, when the tour guide said, oh, by the way, those are sycamore trees. And I watched as 
those trees have these low-lying limbs, and you can, you can ease, no, no, not like these pine trees, you know, just skinny, 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 and then, you know, all that. Uh, you know, the, it's, the sycamore has a low-lying limb so that you can easily get up to the top, and that's what he did. He perches himself up the top of the tree like a little bird, and he thinks everything's good, and he's just kind of looking down because he wants to see the celebrity, all right? He wants to see the miracle worker. He wants to see what's so special about the carpenter from Nazareth turned preacher and prophet and, and, and people talk about how amazing he is and what wonderful things he can do. Well, let me see for myself and just maybe, just maybe he could help somebody like me. Wealthy I am, but I'm so discouraged. I, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I don't know how to quit. I don't know how to stop. And so maybe, just maybe, I'm, I'm sure there's really nothing to it, but maybe. And so he does, and he gets up in that tree. And then verse 5 comes. And I love verse 5. Jesus came. He looked. He saw. He stopped. He said. He did all of that. And remember a couple of weeks ago, or in fact last week, the, the man born blind, when, when Jesus took the initiative, and Jesus said, Hello. Hey, you, <laughs> what are you doing up there? I imagine Zacchaeus about passed out in the tree going, oh, I've been found out. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, time out. How in the world does he know his name? How can he say Zacchaeus? I mean, how do you, how do you know my name? You need to come down out of the tree Coming to your house today. <laughs> I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house. Go tell Mrs. Zacchaeus and get ready because the Son of Man is coming to your house today. It's just such a powerful pastor. I know it's so, it's so simple, but it's so powerful. He said, hurry up for today I die. I D-E-I. Remember that word? Last week in John we looked at 9-4 when it said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is today. The night is coming when nobody can work. I must, that's the word, the Greek word, die, D-E-I. In John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, Jesus said, Don't marvel that I say unto you, you, you Pharisee and Sanhedrin, I say to you, you have to be, you must be born again. It's that word. It's the word of constraint. It's the word of moral obligation. And, and Jesus says it to Zacchaeus. He says, come down for today. I've got to stay at your house. It's, I have to, Zacchaeus. It's what I've been sent to do. I, I, don't, have, I don't have any other choice. This is my Father's will that I speak to you and I get into your house and I tell you about myself and I tell all of your friends about me, it's imperative that you come down. And praise God, he did. He, he hopped down out of the tree and he received Jesus joyfully. I'm not going to be allegorical or metaphorical. I'm just going to say he got out of the tree. He was happy about it. It was palpable. The joy was palpable. It was conspicuous in his face. Now, he hasn't met salvation yet. That comes in verses 8 and 9. But, man, he's just happy somebody's going to give him the time of day, and it just happens to be God. Calls him by his name. Here's, here's what I get out of this text. Jesus Christ meets people, doesn't matter where they are, up in a tree, on a cot in a penitentiary, in a classroom, in a church, me in my bedroom. He just come in, met me, changed me. That's the way Jesus does things. He, he meets us right where we are. He doesn't say, get it all together. Go to, go to a, a, a church for about 10 months. Tithe, you know, get, get your life all together now. And then come to me. And it's not the way. Hey, y'all ever heard this? You got to catch fish first. Then you clean them, amen? You catch them first. You come to Christ today first. Listen, I'm talking to you, sir. I'm talking to you, ma'am. Come to him today. What in the world have you got to lose? You, you, you just come. You say, I'm, I'm coming. And that's what Zacchaeus did. He came out of the tree and he received 
Jesus. I love this. He received him joyfully. I'm, I'm so impressed with what Jesus did not say. He didn't join the chorus of boos in verse 7 where they saw it, they all complained, and they said, well, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Well, they were half right. <laughs> they were right in the fact that Jesus was going to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. And by the way, Zacchaeus would not dispute that. People I talk to that, that are away from God or far from God, they don't, they don't argue with me. They, they don't say, well, I'm not a sinner. I've never done anything wrong. And everybody knows they've sinned. The Bible says everybody has sinned and everybody knows it. But here's, here's the kicker. Here's the deal. People have been so deceived into thinking that what the enemy has offered them is better than what God can offer them. And so that's why they'll say, well, I'm going to hold on to what I got. And I want to hold on to what I got because it, it satisfies me. It gives me a little euphoria. It gives me a little high. It gives me a little pleasure. And I believe that these few moments of pleasure are far better than whatever God has for me. And that's such a lie, is it not? And when Jesus says, well, just, just come. Watch me. Trust me. Just, just lay that aside. Just, just walk away from that. Just, just come. It's like Jesus is reaching out his hand. He says, come. Just come. And Jesus will do everything but just yank you, you know. You have to take the first step. But I love the fact that Jesus does not look up at that tree and say, you sorry snake. You are the most pitiful scoundrel scum on the face of the earth. I ought to reach up there, grab you by the hair of the head, Zacchaeus, and throw you down. You've been conniving. You've been deceiving my people. Oh, let me get my hands on you. That's, that's who people think God is. That's who they think we are. They think that we are the people in verse 7. Oh, you're going to be guessing. Oh, I'm not that person. I don't want to be that person because I know God has saved me. God has changed me. And I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. How could I be judgmental? How could I be condemning? How could I be mean-spirited? Man, Jesus wasn't, and I don't need to be. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Come on out of the tree. It's okay. I'm going to come to your house today. Mercy. Second thing I want to share with you today, briefly, quickly, is Jesus changes us when we, when we receive him, when we take the first step. Now, we've looked at six and seven, so let, let me get to eight and nine. This is, this is so rich. Zacchaeus, and the scene changes, right? You got to go from the crowd, the many, to the home and the few. Get out of the streets of Jericho, the hustle and the bustle, the throngs pressing, the crowds. And then Luke just says, oh, by the way, we've left there, and now we're in Zacchaeus' house. It's probably a pretty nice house. And by the way, he was wealthy. And Zacchaeus, thank you, Lord. I've read this text so many times. I've preached from this text so many times, but it never gets old. Zacchaeus is sitting. You say, how do you know, Brother Danny? He's sitting. You're reading something in the text. The Bible said he stood in order to stand. You have to be seated, okay? He is seated, and he stood. Verse, verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stood, and he said to Jesus, Hey, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anybody by false accusation, I restore fourfold. I, I want to submit to you it's one of the greatest definitions of repentance that you'll ever see in the Bible. Repentance is when you come to God as a sinner and you say, I am sorry, man. I have blown it. Would you help me? Would you forgive me? And I, I'll just walk away from that. And I, I'm just, I'm coming to you. When you look at the law... And what Zacchaeus says in verse 8, you, you're going to be really impressed with him. One writer says, Zacchaeus is going so far beyond the requirement, which in the, in the case of fraud, it requires the return of that which is illegally acquired plus one-fifth, if Leviticus 6.5. If it's just fraud, then you, you return it 
and you give a fifth. But this writer goes on to say, in cases of robbery and thievery of theft, the requirement of the law was you pay back four times what you've stole, what you've stolen. And that's Exodus 22.1. So Zacchaeus is telling us by his repentant behavior that he knows he is a sinner. And he knows that he has fleeced his own people. He knows he has cheated them. And he's just basically, guys, don't miss this. He's just saying, God, I'm sorry. Would, would you please have mercy on me and would you forgive me? And guys, that's, that's all he asks of you. Listen, on television, on the internet, listen, that's, that's all Jesus asks. Is he just says, won't you admit what heaven and hell and earth and everything in between already know you're a sinner? Okay? Say, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm wrong. I've, I've blown it. And, I, and I'm, I'm willing, God, just to come to you. Would you, would you change me? And that's, that's what Zacchaeus is doing in this text. So in verse 9, it says, Jesus responds by saying, Today, salvation has come. It's come to this very house because he, don't miss the pronoun, who's he talking about? Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. Now, can you wrap your mind around that for a moment, American? Can we step out of our, our culture for just a moment and try to understand what, what those words meant to Zacchaeus, a Jew, who's hated and despised, he is a thief, and Jesus says, you, you're repenting, you're believing on me, and I am granting you salvation. The son of Abraham, when you think of Abraham, think of Genesis 15, 6. The Bible says, and when Abraham believed in the Lord, it was accounted to him as righteousness. You know, people are converted. People are coming to faith in God in the Old Testament the same way they do in the New Testament. They come through repentance. They come through faith. They come say, God, you are God. I am not. I have blown it. You are holy. I am unholy. Take me, oh God. Forgive me, please. I'm yours. And that's it. And Jesus says, you are a son of Abraham. Now, this, this phraseology uh, is used other places. Galatians 3, 7 says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now, keep that verse up there for just a minute. I don't want you to miss this. By the way, good hermeneutics, when you don't know what a passage means, look for other passages that say kind of the same thing, and it'll shed light on it. Does that help? You said, Herma, who? Is that some disease or something? What, what is that? Hermeneutics is the art of interpreting, interpreting Scripture, okay? And that's what we do. We interpret Scripture, and praise God, we get to preach Scripture, and the Holy Spirit, He applies the Scripture to you. And, and, and so Paul says, Judaizers, Galatians, one of my churches, you've given me the most problem beside the people at Corinth. Let me just remind you that when you believe, not the law, but when you believe, you are a son of Abraham. And when Jesus verbalized that, Zacchaeus, we, Luke doesn't tell us what happened. I don't know, Zacchaeus, I think he just, I just think he probably just started crying. He said, man, I hit the jackpot today. I, I was just hoping I'd get to see him. And when did I see him? He's in my house. And he'd always see him in my house. He's doing, something, he's doing something amazing in me. I feel, I feel clean, Zacchaeus might say. Man, something's going down, and I, I don't know how to I can't describe it, but I'm no longer that person I used to be. I, I, I don't want to cheat people anymore, man. I, I, I actually want to, I want to serve God now. I, Sir, what did you do to me? What happened here? Jesus said, you've been saved like many of you need to be saved. You say, well, what do I need? To, how, do I, how do I do this? And you, you can't miss this. Please don't miss it. It's so simple. You just come as you are. I saw Billy Graham when he used to preach these crusades all over the world. He would always sing the same song every single crusade. Just as I am, I come. O Lamb of God, I come just as I am. And this is my last thing I want to share with you. Jesus loves you. Receive him today. Because verse 10 is one of the pinnacle texts in all of Scripture. 
Because Jesus says the Son of Man has come to seek and save that. He all right. I don't think I'm all right. This is just getting all over me. I, I, Jesus, I've, I've come for lost people. I come for sinners. I come from people that are, that are far from God. You can't get much further from God than that guy. I mean, he is a sinful person. He's cheating his own people, for heaven's sake, and he's in, he's in cahoots with the Romans. I hated Romans. And, and Jesus says, forget all that. I'm, I'm reaching him, and I'm bringing him to myself. And God wants to do that for you. And, 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 and I'm just saying, receive it. Believe. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has come to seek you out and to save the lost. Yeah, I could probably go another 10 years and not go back to New York City, but for some reason, this year, I went to New York City twice. And it was, it was really cool, Ashley. You went with me one time. Brother Andy and I were in the other time. And, <laughs> by the way, New York City is a, is a buzz with Hamilton. I just want you all to know that in case you were wondering. Everybody wants to go see Alexander Hamilton. I don't know if y'all seen it or heard it. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty bad, but it's okay. Alexander Hamilton is the hit Broadway show. And when I was there the first time, there was a lady, I, I kid you not, there was a lady coming off the elevator. And I don't know, you, you hang out with Andy Spencer, you just learn to talk to people. I mean, it's the coolest thing. Andy, he could talk to this monitor right here. It's the cool. He's just got the gift. I mean, he just... And I'm an introvert. I, I'll just be quiet, and, 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 you know, and then when it's time to witness, then I step up and share. But Andy just talks to everybody. And this lady's coming on. I say, how are you doing, ma'am? She says, excuse me, I've got to go help a friend. I said, where are you going? She said, my friend is camped out for three days to get a ticket to Alexander Hamilton, and I'm bringing her some food. Excuse me. And that's where she went. I thought, Three days in a tent on, on Broadway because what? Alexander Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton, it's, it's, it's the thing. So we, we go back a few weeks later, and, and Ashley's with me this time, and we're like, well, let's go see Hamilton. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. It's, it's, that, that ain't going to happen. They, they're sold out until, what was it, Ashley? May of next year. But they said, hey, there's a, there's a line. You can get in line. If somebody calls and cancels, you can get tickets. Sounds like a, sounds like a plan to me. So Ashley and I, we, we go get in line. There's people from all over the world. It's the craziest thing. We're just standing there trying to get tickets to Hamilton. And, and we stay there for like 45 minutes. And I'm, getting, I'm thinking to myself, this, this is not going to happen. I mean, what's the chance? What's the chance if somebody's going to call, they're going to cancel this coveted ticket, and then they're going to bring me up to the front of the line, and I'm going to purchase the ticket, and I'm going to get to go see Alexander Hamilton. How many of y'all believe that, that that's going to happen? It didn't, okay? It didn't happen. <laughs> well, you're a preacher. Surely God gives you favor. No, it didn't happen. It didn't happen to this preacher. So about that time, Ashley said, look behind you. And we look, and there's Les Mis, only four days left on Broadway. Said, see ya. So we left Hamilton and we went and saw Les Mis and it was it was great. But the next time I get up there, I really want to go see Hamilton. You know why? Well, let me tell you about Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton was the most famous founding father who never was elected president. Alexander Hamilton died, he died an early death at the age of 49, but before he died. George Washington, President George Washington, made him his financial or his treasury secretary for our new country. Alexander Hamilton created the first bank in America, created the customs department, created the Coast Guard. He was a genius. And Hamilton, many thought, would go on. And by the way, read Ron Chernow's book, Hamilton. It is fabulous. It's about this thick, you know, it weighs about this much. It's huge, but I love those kind of books. I love reading his story. And then 
Hamilton has this nice-looking young man named Philip. He's 19. I can't tell you how many 19-year-old people God lets me meet. No, I didn't meet him. But Philip and a man got in an argument. And the man was saying cruel things about his dad, who was a politician. And Philip Hamilton said, Sir, you shouldn't be talking about my dad. That, that's my dad. And, and the, so they, they called him out to a duel. He said, Are you talking about Alexander? No, I'm talking about Philip right now. So Philip's 19. And this guy, they go do this duel. And Philip, he gets killed for defending his father's honor at 19 years of age. And before he dies, fascinating, before Philip Hamilton dies, he asks Jesus Christ to come into his heart. It's, it's this beautiful story. He's, he's saved. He's born again. There are not many deathbed conversions. I only know of like one in the Bible. Most people... Most people just die. They die the way they live. So if you got somebody that needs Jesus, please go tell them, don't wait till they're on their deathbed because they may not have a chance. The thief on the cross is the only one I know. So Philip Hamilton, he dies. Well, not long after that. You know the story, don't you? Aaron Burr, the vice president of the United States of America, and Alexander Hamilton, they are political rivals, and they, they get into this, this match, into this argument, and so they say, to the duel, to the duel. And they say, okay, let's do it. And this is what they did in 1801. The two grown men go out into a field, and they look at each other. You got your pistol? Yeah. You got yours? Yeah, I'm going to shoot you. Okay, let's do this. March, and there's people witnessing, and they march off a few feet. They turn around, they shoot one another and kill each other. That's just amazing to me. I, I'm just like, it's barbaric. Well, Aaron Burr was vindictive. And he, was, he, was, he was an angry man. And boy, he took out his gun and he shot. But Hamilton's really interested. What he did, he said, I've proven my honor. I don't, have, I don't have any desire to kill Aaron Burr, the vice president of the United States. So he takes his gun and he shoots the limb above his head. That's a mistake. <laughs> Because you see my hand up like it? Hamilton is pierced through by the bullet of Aaron Burr. It goes through his diaphragm. It lodges in his spine. And for four days, he's in excruciating pain. And at 49 years of age, he dies. But Ron Chernow, bless his heart, to his everlasting credit, this is what he says in his book about Hamilton. As Hamilton was there, he said... I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And I need God's forgiveness. Would somebody please go get Pastor John? Go get Pastor John Mason. Tell him to come. I am dying. I am going into eternity. Somebody please go get Pastor John. They got Pastor John Mason. He came to the deathbed of Alexander Hamilton, and he looked at Hamilton, and he began to share with him. And Alexander Hamilton said these words. Glory to God, he said these words. And I'm so glad this secular author recorded them. As Pastor Mason told how Christ's blood would wash away his sins, Alexander Hamilton grabbed his hand. <laughs> he rolled his eyes toward heaven. And Hamilton said with great fervor, I have a tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he dies. I am a sinner. I'm going to meet God. Somebody call the preacher. You know. Somebody help me because I don't want to go like this. I want to make sure I am right with God. And God saves him just like he saves his son. Obviously, you're not on your deathbed today, right? You're in church. But can I tell you this? The night is coming for us all. The night is coming when no more work is done. We close our eyes and we open them into the eternal presence of God. And God and I and you, you have a one-on-one -on -one moment. I 
think about that day. I'm only 52, but I think about that day a lot. And I'm standing, I'm in his presence. I mean, heart attack, cancer, accident, you're done. Boom, you're in his presence. What are you going to say? Teenager, listen to me. Students die every day. You can die today. You go into God's presence. What in heaven's name are you going to say? You know, I I don't know that God's going to ask us this question. He might. Y'all heard this diagnostic question? When you die and you stand before God and God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? What will you say? Y'all heard that question? That's a good question. The, The diagnostic question I'm using in the five crosses is, can I just help you call on Jesus' name for salvation? That's, that's what I'm going to help us do. But let's just suppose, let's say that, Hamilton, you die, are you right before you die? Okay, go into the presence of God. And let's say God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Here's what I'm going to say. First of all, let me tell you what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say, oh, Jesus, remember church? Big, great hills, campus church. Remember all them sermons? We're good, right? Give me a high five. Hey, Jesus, you and I are good, right? That's a wrong answer. Well, you know, I memorized a lot of verses in the Bible, Dwayne. I've got, man, I got the Romans Road memorized. And I've, I give my tithe, and I give a, Jesus, you know, right, you're cool with that. I'm giving my tithes and more and more to missions and all that. And I, no, heavens, no. I, I promise you, church, if he asked me that, I'm only going to say one thing, and I'm going to say, Jesus. I'm going to say, Jesus. That's all I'm going to say. It is going to be ding, 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 ding. <laughs> That's right. Because he's my Lord now. If you die and you don't know God and you go into God's presence and say, uh, Jesus, preacher told me, Jesus, Jesus, cool, right? No. Most profound thing that I will ever say in my life, I'm about to say now. The only way you get to spend heaven with him there is you got to know him now. You got to know him today. You say, how does that happen? How does that, what, how does that, what does that look like? Stay with me. I'm sorry. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. My life is yours. Jesus, I am yours. That's it. Anybody want to do that today, by the way? Some of you saints, some of you Christians, you're just about, you're just about to bust. It's written all over your face. You're going back in time when you gave your life to the Lord and you're so excited. If you're not, you should be. You're thinking of that moment when you said yes to the Lord for the first time and and you're so glad, you're so happy that when you die and you stand in God's presence, you don't have to go, oh, goodness, what, 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 what? You just, you're there and you say, hey, Jesus. But many of you are unprepared, you're ill-prepared, and I'm here today to share this message with you. You've got to get prepared, and here's how you do it. You ready? Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, especially those of you that are here never once, never been saved, never come into the presence of God for salvation. Let let me encourage you. Let me help you. We're going to do like Alexander Hamilton did. We're going to do like Philip did. I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, please. And you know who you are, right? Yes, it's, it is for you. It, I know it's a miracle that you're here. And it's astonishing that you would be in a, in a Baptist church. I, I know I get that. But you are here. And God is here. And you just cannot leave without settling this, okay? Here's what you do. Just, just repeat after me. Your head's bowed, your eyes are closed. You, you don't need to say this out loud, but say it in your heart, in your inner conscience. Say these words, Oh God, I too am a sinner. 
I need your forgiveness. And by faith, I trust you, God, by faith. Please save me. I am yours. And with your head bowed, and with your eyes closed, if that is you, oh, my friend, if that is you, would you please, would you please just let, let me know that? Before you leave this place, I would ask, would you just please get with me and just say, I prayed that prayer with you, and I received Christ. The same Jesus that saved a wealthy Zacchaeus and the same Jesus that saved the patriot, Alexander Hamilton, that Jesus came into my heart at 12.15 on Sunday, October the 30th. And I just, I just want to thank you, preacher. Thank you. And I, I'll receive it. I'll be, I'll be glad to receive your thanks for leading you to Christ and you escaping hell. And I, I just want to, I want to meet you. Maybe a teenager, maybe a young Married couple, you may, be, you may be 80 years old. Glory to God, you, you barely made it. You know, you're about to, you may be going into eternity soon. And, and today, today, you gave your life to Christ. You say, well, I don't know you very well. And I don't, I don't know if I could just come up to you and tell you this. Please tell me. Please tell somebody. The decision you made today, because we want to help you. We want to see you grow. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. We, we want to help you grow in your relationship with God. So you tell us so we can help you. Somebody's here today. I know your head's bowed, your eyes are closed. This is, this is the spot for you. This is the church for you. God has landed you. He's parachuted you into the place where he wants you to serve, where he wants you to give. He wants you to get involved, and you're here. God bless you. Welcome. You're welcome. And I'm joining a perfect church, right? Everything's grand and glorious here. No. No, no. But we're sinners saved by grace. We're on a journey to be a radiant bride. And we want you to come on and be a part of us. So, Father, we're praying now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would save, oh God. And you would draw people, Lord, to yourself. God, if you did it. For Zacchaeus, God, you did it for Hamilton. God, you, you can do it for anybody. Lord, would they believe, would they trust in you today and be born again and have sins forgiven, names written in heaven. Yes, they are yours now, God. They will live for you now. They will walk with you now. Oh, God, thank you. Do what only you can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.